Welcome everyone to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're so glad that you are here today with us. Is anybody excited to be in church today? (laughs) So glad you could be here uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, Pastor Dan and Emily will be back next week, and I just have a couple of announcements before we um, introduce our guest speaker for the day. So the first thing is that, ladies, today is your last day to purchase your Real Women Christmas ticket for the event on December 12th. So make sure that you get those tickets purchased today because today is the very, very last day. Last time I checked, we had about 100 left, but that was last week. We sell out every Every year, so make sure that you get yours today. And also, guys, we are so thankful for how you serve the women so well on that night. So thank you to everybody who has signed up to serve that evening. But we do need about 30 more guys. So if you can uh, volunteer that night, Monday, December 12th, um, if you head out the doors and towards the coat room, there is a table, tall round table there with a sign-up sheet on it. If you could just sign up, we need about 30 more gentlemen to help us out that evening, and that would be awesome. So today, it is my pleasure to introduce to you Mr. Mark Vandervelde. Give it up for Mark. Mark is just an awesome guy. He's my neighbor. He's like, he and Mary are like the best neighbors in the whole world, but uh, Mark uh, is a co-leader of our men's ministry here at Res. Men's ministry is doing some awesome things. So guys, if you want to get involved with men's ministry, Absolutely. see Mark, but he has a word for us today. So give it up again for Mark. Hey, good morning, everybody. Funny thing just happened just before I came up here, my wife spilled her coffee. So if you see um, a wet spot all all over my back of my pants and maybe a little of my front, it's not what you're thinking, okay? So, but uh, it's great to be here this morning. What a great weekend, huh? Um, Weather, we never get weather like this this time of the year. Almost 50 degrees, sunny every day. Michigan will beat Ohio State. Come on. I... Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If there's any Ohio State fans out there, I do apologize. And then it's Thanksgiving weekend. Wow. Just um, Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. Love gathering with friends and family around a big meal. And it was no different this this year. Had an opportunity to spend some time with my family and, and some friends. And we have a tradition around our house, and it's probably very similar to our tradition around your house, whereas we'll go around and just ask what you're thankful for. And I got an opportunity to kind of pull the kids and grandkids to see what they're thankful for. And you never know what they're going to say. And that's what makes it great, though. And um, it's, just, uh, it's just wonderful to hear what's coming out of those young kids' mouth and what they're thankful for. And it, it got me thinking, what if we were to start every day with a gratitude list or a thankful list? And I'll bet some of you out there are doing that right now, and you could probably give a testimony, and I would love to hear it if you are doing that and how that's changed your life. And um, got me thinking about a verse that uh, is near and dear to my heart, and I don't know if uh, we can get it up on the screen or not. And it's Philippians 4, verse 5 through 7. And it says, Do not be anxious about anything, But in every situation, by prayer and petition, 
with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that verse would have been awesome, even without the, the most significant word that's in that verse, and I believe, and that's thanksgiving. And the person that wrote this is Paul. And Paul, he knows a, a thing or two about uh, what it means to be in anxious situations. Think about Paul when he was on his way to Rome for face trial, more than likely going to be uh, incarcerated, possibly worse. He didn't know, maybe executed. So he's on his way to Rome by ship, and he faces one of the worst storms you could ever face. And he, so he's caught up in this storm, he's under arrest, he's heading to Rome, face trial, possible incarceration, possible death. And Romans are freaking out. They're tossing cargo over the ship, they're bracing for impact. What does Paul do? Paul says, let's break bread, let's give thanks. So it's a powerful verse. And got me thinking about, um, about 18 years ago, I was involved in a, a really bad snowmobile accident. Some of you in this room remember that. I was in a really bad place. Matter of fact, I, I almost lost my life. According to my brother, I did lose my life. And I was in a, I was in a bad place, both mentally, physically, emotionally. And a good friend of mine reminded me of this verse. And she said, pray this verse. I said, okay. And I prayed that verse. And I prayed that verse daily. I prayed that verse multiple times a day. I prayed that verse pleading to God, crying to God. And you know what? My attitude started to change. I stopped focusing on the things that were going wrong in my life. I stopped focusing on worrying about what was gonna happen to me. And I was thinking about all the goodness of God. So thankfulness, thankfulness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts, Lord. I pray that you open up our mind to all that you're doing behind the scenes that we don't even know about, things that you're going to be doing in the future. Lord, we just know that you are such a good God. We love you so much. Lord, we pray for this service this morning. Lord, we pray that you'll open up our hearts to what you have to say, Lord, that your spirit will be moving deeply in us, Lord, and it'll impact us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be?
Many of, you, many of you probably recognize this scene. I hear some clapping out there. It's a, uh, it comes from the series Chosen. I, I, I love, that, uh, love that scene. It's the moment when Jesus explains to Nicodemus what it means to be born again. See, this is a foreign concept to Nicodemus, but it's a spiritual truth that will lay the groundwork and help him break the religious mindset that plagued him along with many others of that time. In this message, Spiritual Awakening, we're going to dive into the life of Nicodemus and the transformation that occurs from a simple encounter with Jesus. I believe the spiritual awakening that occurred in Nicodemus' life can be seen in the transformation that occurs in all who are born again. And you might just find that your relationship with Jesus mirrors that of Nicodemus. But in order to fully understand the depth of this transformation, we need to understand who Nicodemus was. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about in describing who Nicodemus was. See, Nicodemus is only mentioned three times in the Bible, and of those three times, they're all in the Gospel of John. We know that numbers have a significant role in the Bible. The number three means harmony, new life, and completeness. And I think you're going to see that in Nicodemus' life as, as we look at the different passages that John talks about. Secondly, Nicodemus is a Jew with a Greek name. His name means victory of the people or victory of the common people. Now, you might not think much about this, but Jews looked down on Greeks, which were, not, which were included in those called Gentiles, who Jews believed to be outside of the covenant of God. Paul would state in Galatians, though, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. But there's confliction in, in Nicodemus right from the get-go, right from his name, The most significant fact about Nicodemus is that he's a Pharisee. Now, we've all heard the term Pharisee mentioned in the Bible and really never in any much of a good light. These were men of Jewish religious sect. They were separatists, meaning that they separated themselves from anyone and anything that could spiritually contaminate themselves, mind or body. Nicodemus was also part of a supreme council called the Sanhedrin, See, this was a ruling body made up of 70 people plus one high priest. You might think of it as a very large Supreme Court in, in, um, in today's day. Now, they had jurisdiction over all religious, civil, and criminal matters. If you remember, Jesus went before the Sanhedrin prior to going before Pontius Pilate. See, back in those days, the, um, the Sanhedrin, the Jews, didn't have the right, they're under Jewish law, to, uh, to execute somebody. So even though they wanted Jesus to be crucified and, and put to death, they needed um, the Romans to do that. Lastly, Nicodemus was described as the teacher of Israel, meaning that he was a master teacher of Israel, which means he was very smart. He knew the law like the back of his hand, and he knew the Torah in the Old Testament. But how many of you know that uh, usually the smartest guy in the room realizes that they have a lot to learn? And I think you're going to see that with Nicodemus. So with all that said, you're probably wondering, how can I make such a bold statement in comparing Nicodemus, a Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, his spiritual awakening, to that of most Christians? Well, let's dive into the word and and, uh, see for ourselves. As mentioned earlier, Nicodemus is mentioned three separate times in the Bible. Each time that he's mentioned, he speaks and acts more boldly for Christ. Let's look at the first time. So we're going to read John 3, verse 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I love this verse. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And this last verses, last two verses are important. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So there's no mention in the Bible anywhere that any Pharisee ever sought out Jesus in the way that Nicodemus did. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus really takes it to the Pharisees by listing seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees with the most notable verse in 27 saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Many of you know the verse in Matthew 11:28 through 30 that says, Then Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Many know that verse, but what you may not know is that Jesus was referencing the exhausting and unrealistic expectations that the Pharisees required of the Jews. Jesus was essentially saying is, God's intention is not to weigh us down, but to give us rest and a new life. And you don't have to accomplish it alone. You are yoked to Jesus. You're not yoked to the law. But something was different with Nicodemus that set him apart from all the other Pharisees. Here is a man who was steeped in religious hypocrisy all of his life, who only knew one way to the kingdom of God, and that was through obedience to the law. The problem is, is he couldn't explain what he was seeing and hearing about in this man named Jesus. <clears throat> there were rumblings all throughout the area of miracles taking place, lives changing, men and women being restored physically and spiritually, and this just didn't fit into Nicodemus' religious world. So what does Nicodemus do? John describes the terms of their engagement most likely set up by Nicodemus in verse two. 
He visits Jesus in the dead of night on his terms. He's not willing to risk much. He figures there's little risk in his initial encounter with Jesus. It's dark. Nobody's around to hear or see what they're talking about. However, this initial encounter shows that Nicodemus is curious and that he's vulnerable. And I think that's where many people camp out in, this, in their initial encounter with Jesus. They may know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They see how Jesus has changed the lives of friends and family members, but they're so caught up in their own brokenness that they can't believe this could possibly be for them. In some cases, lukewarm Christians just don't want their world turned upside down. They don't want their life to change. They're comfortable. They're not willing to risk their friendship or their reputation. Or really anything else for that matter. They're living as orphans. Jesus, don't ask me to come out of my comfort zone. Let's just keep this relationship on the down low. Jesus immediately confronts Nicodemus with what it means to be born again. As a matter of fact, Jesus states eight times in the first eight verses, he says the word born. Jesus is speaking of a complete transformation that Nicodemus couldn't possibly begin to understand. As a matter of fact, he explicitly states in verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you know Jesus really wants to get his point across when he twice says the word truly. He's emphasizing this fact. Take notice that Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, Jewish leaders like Nicodemus, they were looking at a physical kingdom, not a spiritual one. In Luke 17, verse 20 through 21, Jesus says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus was trying to tell Nicodemus that I'm bringing the kingdom of God to you and I'm standing right in front of you. So Nicodemus was struggling with this idea of physical birth, what Jesus was describing as being spiritual birth. You see, physical birth is the will of your mother and your father, but it's not yours. It's also the will of God because all life has value and the purpose in God's eyes. But you didn't have a say in the matter. Spiritual birth is your choice. It's your will joined with the will of God. God wants all of his children to come unto him, but he gave us free will to make that decision. Nicodemus was at the point in his relationship with Jesus that He believed that Jesus was a good teacher who came from God and performed miracles. Verse 2 says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. It's obvious that Nicodemus had not fully humbled himself and hadn't recognized who Jesus was. Notice he says you are a teacher which is different than how Jesus addressed Nicodemus as being the teacher. And he says God is with him, not that God is Jesus. Nicodemus is like others who believe in God. They just don't fully grasp who Jesus is. However, Jesus will break down the strongholds that take captive our thoughts, that prevent us from a deeper relationship with him. 
And I believe Nicodemus was trying so hard to take hold of what Jesus was trying to say to him, but he just wasn't grasping it. But Jesus will meet you at your point of need and your point of understanding. And I believe it is in verse 14 that was the turning point for Nicodemus. In verse 14 it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. See, G- <clears throat> See Nicodemus, he understood the Old Testament, and he knew the story of, of Moses lifting up the bronze serpent on the pole in the wilderness, and that that was the foreshadowing of a Savior to come. In Numbers 21, 6 through 9, it says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, in this story, the serpent was a reminder of their sin. And in the Bible, the bronze was a metaphor of judgment and the pole represented the cross. Now, I think a light bulb went off in Nicodemus' mind. I believe it was at this point that Jesus met him where he was at. Jesus was able to bring an Old Testament prophecy to which Nicodemus now understood that Jesus, what Jesus was trying to explain to him the whole time. Jesus will meet you where you are at, at your level of understanding, and he will reveal himself to you. His entire life, Nicodemus had been trained to believe that he could earn God's approval by following a list of rules. It was very difficult for him to understand that this new life was given by God and not earned. The great tragedy is, is that m- many Christians are stuck in this mindset. It's the mindset of an orphan trying desperately to work harder for God's approval rather than focusing on being intimate with God. An orphan heart is a heart that doesn't feel like it has a home. It doesn't feel secure or accepted unless it looks right, acts right, does right, and it still never feels at home. But when we allow God's love to so deeply penetrate us that life, peace, and security flows out of us, and then we begin living as a son or daughter in our father's house. See, the difference between living as an orphan and living as a son or daughter is understanding how much God loves us and then we can in turn love others. And I believe it is that Jesus' love that propelled the change in Nicodemus' life. I believe a spiritual awakening has taken the place in the life of Nicodemus because as you will see in the next account that John gives of Nicodemus, he, comes, he becomes a little bit more bolder and a little bit more vulnerable. Our next encounter with Nicodemus can be found in John 7. Nicodemus has now gotten a little bolder. He openly questions his fellow Pharisees' actions against Jesus. Jesus has gone to the temple during the festival. He's openly preaching. The crowd is divided on who Jesus is. Some argue he's a good man. Others say he's a fraud come to deceive the people, while others believe that he's the Messiah. In John 7, verse 13, 
it says, but no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public, for they were afraid of getting in trouble with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. The Pharisees heard the rumblings in the crowd and ordered the temple guards to arrest Jesus, but the guards responded, we've never heard of anyone speak like this. With that, the Pharisees mocked the guards. And to those in the crowd that believed Jesus to be the Messiah, they said, this foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. And now comes Nicodemus. It says in John 7, verse 50 to 52, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met Jesus earlier, going back to that, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is giving a hearing, he asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Nicodemus has now come from outside of the meeting that he had in the dark of night to take a stand for Jesus, knowing that there would be a cost. And as we just read, that rebuke came immediately from his peers. Make no mistake, there's a cost to following Jesus. There will come a time when Jesus will ask you this simple question. It was a question that Jesus asked Peter three times after the resurrection and just prior to his ascension. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? The reason Jesus asked Peter that question three times was because Peter had just denied even knowing Jesus three times prior to him being arrested and brought before trial. But Peter's life was about to radically change with this declaration of his love for Jesus. You see, when you fall in love with Jesus, your life can't help but to radically change. In John 3, verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, you can't see the wind or know where it's coming from, but you can see the effects of the wind through the trees and the power that that wind produces. I've seen the Spirit of God radically change men in this church, the same Spirit that radically changed me. Relationships restored, addictions wiped out, Fulfillment and peace replacing stress and anxiety. You see, once you fall in love with Jesus, everything changes. I love hearing men's testimony on whether it's one-on-one or at the men's Saturday breakfast that we have the first Saturday of every month. One common theme in their testimony is the realization of how much Jesus loved them, loves them. The final encounter that... um, The final time Nicodemus is mentioned is in John 19, verse 38 through 42. Here Nicodemus shows up at the most pivotal time in human history. Let's pick up the story. Afterward, Joseph of Marathia, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission... Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. Here we go again. He brought about 70 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. 
Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb, never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So let's unpack a little bit what's taking place here. Nicodemus, as I said earlier, finds himself at the most important time in human history. The Pharisees are on the warpath, as well as the most ruthless military force on earth, the Roman Empire. The apostles, who just spent three years with Jesus, bearing witness to all that he had did, they've all fled. And Peter has denied even knowing Jesus three times. Jesus has been mocked, beaten, he's hung on a cross. At the time of the crucifixion, only one apostle remained. It's the apostle John, whose words we are now reading, who was witness to all the events that had just taken place. Can you imagine the fear and confusion that was running through the minds of those who were there? In the end, it wasn't an apostle, it wasn't a devout follower that removed Jesus' body from the cross. It was two Pharisees. As Buzz would say, you can't make this stuff up. Nicodemus is no longer acting in secret. He's all in. Nicodemus goes from silent searcher at night to a verbal defender to finally a bold follower who physically takes courage and takes action to honor his Lord and Savior. In this final act, Nicodemus goes from not willing to risk anything to meet Jesus on his terms to willing to risk everything on Jesus' terms. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened to Nicodemus, but I can only imagine that he was ostracized and possibly worse, most likely kicked off the council. But here's the question. Why would Nicodemus do this? Why was he willing to risk everything? The only thing I can come up with is he loved Jesus. You see, when you encounter Jesus and when you accept his love, you can't help but love others. It's the central theme of the Bible. It's who God is. Love. Some of you may have noticed that I stopped reading about Nicodemus' initial meeting with Jesus in John 3 at verse 15. The next verse is probably the most recognizable verse in the Bible. It's the verse that Christians and non-Christians can recite without fail. It's the verse that shows just how much God loves us and it's the verse that begins with a promise way back in Genesis that's fulfilled in our lives today. It's John 3, verse 16. And I'm wondering if we could read this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Isn't it interesting that this verse was given to us in the context of a meeting between Jesus and a Pharisee who was lost in the law. It says in Matthew 5, verse 17, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Nicodemus' actions will lead us to believe that he came to an understanding of this fact. 
The truth that Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus is simple. You don't have to work harder, do better, or perform to get closer to Jesus. That idea only produces fear, pride, and shame. See, Jesus is looking for a relationship. Everything comes down to the fact that Jesus loves you. In conclusion, as you consider the life of Nicodemus, where do you see yourself? I think if you look deep enough, you might find yourself in his story. Are you the private truth seeker under the cover of darkness in the dead of night who knows of Jesus but doesn't really know Jesus? Whose relationship is one-sided and on your terms? Or are you the believer who, when given the opportunity to defend Jesus in your sphere of influence, can only muster a quiet rebuttal for fear of repercussion? Or are you the believer who so deeply loves Jesus and knows how much Jesus loves you that you're willing to act boldly and courageously for the advancement of his kingdom? Nicodemus' story shows us that when you seek Jesus, you'll find him. And when you find him, you'll understand just how much Jesus loves you. And when you understand how much Jesus loves you, you can't help but to love others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing to us in your word and in our hearts of who you are and how much you love us. Thank you for giving us new life and opening our eyes to your goodness. Lord, I pray that we will not fall into the trap of believing that we somehow need to earn your approval of love. Please help us to accept your love unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, there'll be prayer partners up here if you'd like to come forward. With that, be blessed and have a great day. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E dot org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.